Hello Rebels, you're listening to a free audio-only recording of my show, The Gun Show. Today my guest on the show is Alex Newman from The New American Magazine. We start off talking about an underreported United Nations Environment Conference in Nairobi, Kenya that admits that the UN wants to transform the way we live and then we end up talking about a little bit of everything from south of the border and around the world. If you like listening to this podcast, then you will love watching it. But in order to watch, you need to be a subscriber to premium content. That's what we call our long-form TV-style shows here on The Rebel. Subscribers get access to watching my weekly show, as well as other great TV-style shows too, like Ezra's Nightly, Ezra Levant Show, and David Menzies' fun Friday night show, Rebel Roundup. It's only 8 bucks a month to subscribe, or you can subscribe annually and get two months free. And just for our podcast listeners, you can save an extra 10% on a new premium membership by using the coupon code podcast when you subscribe. Just go to therebel.media slash shows to become a member. And please leave a five-star review on this podcast and subscribe in iTunes or Google Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. Those reviews are a great way to support us at The Rebel without spending a dime. And now, please enjoy this free audio-only version of my show. You're listening to a Rebel Media Podcast. It's the first day of spring. The United Nations still wants to control your life. And Donald Trump has a climate panel that's making everybody crazy. I'm Sheila Gunn-Reed and you're watching The Gun Show. was just called here in beautiful Alberta and we have the opportunity to shake the yoke of our socialist new democrat oppressors off our back but while that's exciting for us the world outside of Alberta is still turning and a lot of what's happening outside our borders will also drastically affect us and what happens here for example did you know a United Nations environment conference just wrapped up in Nairobi Kenya and the language coming out of that conference was about as control freaky as it gets. The conference itself used the language New World Order to transform the way we live. Now, you probably didn't hear about this conference in the mainstream media, but if you followed the New American magazine, you knew all about this conference and you knew about how it is part and parcel of the United Nations socialist agenda to control the way we live, to control everything we do. Now, my guest tonight is Alex Newman, author and star columnist for the New American Magazine. He joins me in an interview we recorded Tuesday afternoon, and we are talking about that United Nations conference, Donald Trump's incredible new climate panel that is making all the right people really angry at him, and a whole host of other things happening around the world and south of the border. So joining me now from The New American is Alex Newman. And Alex has a ton of really great stories that 
I hope he can illuminate us with a little bit more information. But one of the first stories that Alex uh, had that I really wanted to touch base on was the Fourth United Nations Environment Assembly in Nairobi. And I thought, you know, how fitting it's kismet because Alex and I met at a United at a United Nations climate change conference. Um, he was allowed inside. I, of course, was not. Um, but we talk about these big conferences, the big annual conferences, but we forget about all these little conferences of elites, these cloistered little conferences where a lot of big things are happening. So, Alex, thanks for joining me. Please shine some light on this. Uh, Sheila, well, thank you so much for having me. First of all, it's a pleasure to be with you again. And uh, yes, the United Nations. It's uh, Unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to go to this conference. I would have loved to. Uh, it took place in Nairobi, Kenya, just last week, actually, um, early to mid-March. And uh, it was actually a really big deal. I, I literally didn't see a single word about it in the American media, not one word. But uh, they came up with some really drastic agreements and declarations and resolutions. And uh, they're using language now that, it, you know, if, if we had used this language a couple of years ago to say this is what they're doing, uh, the establishment media would have said, oh, you guys are conspiracy theorists, you're kooks, you're just making stuff up. And here, if, if you actually read the things that they're saying, they're calling for, quote, a new world order. Uh, this is the head of the UN Environment Agency calling for what she described as a new world order. And then uh, you had another one of these senior bureaucrats, and you had heads of state there. You had uh, Emmanuel Macron, the unpopular, politically toxic president of France, was there. They said they're, they're building this new world order to transform the way we live. And so under the guise of saving us from humans, under the guise of saving us from allegedly man-made global warming, uh, they want to completely restructure our lives, completely restructure our civilizations, take a bunch of our money and uh, restrict our freedoms in unprecedented ways. So it's really dangerous territory. And what's even more dangerous is that nobody in America even knows this is happening, Sheila. Yeah, I mean, I was last week on my show, I had somebody who was at another United Nations conference. This time it was the Commission on the Status of Women. And she was one of the few pro-lifers in the, inside the conference. I don't know how they allowed her to be inside there. And uh, when I was talking to her, much the same sort of rhetoric um, was coming out of the meetings that we need to transform how we live. We need to change what a family looks like. And for me, it just seemed so counterintuitive to their self-proclaimed goals. If you want women's advancement, and if you want children to be better off, well, the best place for women and children is in the patriarchy, whether the feminists like it or not, it is the safest place for women and it is the best place where children thrive. But you see this rhetoric from the United Nations where um, you have to break down the family, you have to break down capitalism and you have to put the United Nations or a global government at the top. And specifically with that Commission on the Status of Women, I mean, it basically wanted um, women to uh, have the government as their sugar daddy, I guess, um, and sell it to them as women's empowerment. It, it really is the theater of the absurd, Sheila, because on the one hand, you have exactly what you described. You have a bunch of radical ideologues, feminists, haters of the family, haters of all things, patriarchy, you know, can't have nuclear family because that's oppressive to women. And oh my goodness, they might have to cook a meal sometimes. And <laughs> heaven forbid. 
Uh, and so you have, on, on the one hand, these people. And then on the other hand, you have the United Nations appointing delegates from, for example, the Iranian regime or the Saudi Arabian regime to these commissions on the status of women and women's rights and things like this. It is completely ludicrous. But the contrast is amazing. It seems like everyone is welcome under this UN globalist tent, whether they be uh, you know, Islamist fundamentalists who think women are, are property and should be beaten if they don't obey their husbands and things like that, or whether it's these women who want to completely destroy the family and have the government take care of children. What's not welcome is the traditional Christian Western civilization perspective where you have you know, a nuclear family with a mom and a dad and children transmitting the values to the next generation. That's the only alternative that it seems is not welcome under the UN's vision. So you have a very dangerous situation right now where they are literally undermining the family, undermining marriage, undermining free markets, undermining nation states, all of these things that are kind of the building blocks of civilization. And I think the reason is very clear. I mean, these are the exact same things that Karl Marx targeted, if you think about it. You know, he wanted to abolish private property. He wanted all the children to be raised by government and government schools. He thought women ought to be kind of seen communally, right? The communal wives where everybody gets to, you know, do things. Uh, and so this is the same kind of ideology that the UN is pushing. And it has now infested Western governments, the United Nations, all these different UN agencies. And it's a very dangerous situation. And I think it goes hand in glove with the, uh, the whole climate and environmental thing. What you have here is a concerted effort to break down freedom, break down traditional values, traditional morality, and replace it with this new UN vision, which is extremely dangerous if you love liberty and uh, you love your country. Yeah, and there's a lot of I hate to use the word because um, it's just so overused by the left, but there's a lot of intersectionality. When you look at these uh, women's conferences, there's always, you know, talk about how climate change affects women first, as though, um, you know, my husband and I are walking down the street and there's a dark cloud over me and the sun's just blazing on him. Um, it, it's so strange how these two issues get intertangled, but I think you really nail it. It is about using these issues to strip away freedom as we know it. Um, now, as a Canadian, I have a great interest in Donald Trump and his climate change policies because um, really, every time Trump does something to repeal um, a regulation or to reject a carbon tax, it makes Canada less competitive because our progressive governments here have embraced them wholeheartedly. And the New American has a really great story about how Trump has this new climate panel and it's causing a lot of heads to f fall off. Uh, it really is. It, it's, it's so incredible to see this, Sheila. It actually warms my heart. Uh, so, <laughs> Me too. So, so the president um, has, uh, has put on his National Security Council a gentleman by the name of Dr. William Happer. Uh, he was a professor of physics at the Princeton University, which is one of America's most prestigious universities. Uh, I happen to know Dr. Happer. He and I both spoke at a climate conference a few years ago, uh, right, shortly right after Donald Trump had been elected. Uh, he spoke on the science. I spoke on kind of the media aspects of it. And he is an amazing scientist. He's completely non-political. You know, I tried to get him to say something political. No chance. He, he's interested in the science. He, he's what you might call, you know, a science nut, just loves the science. And he, he knows that the man-made global warming hypothesis is ridiculous. I mean, he, he explained very clearly that the Earth needs much more CO2. We're in a, in a desperate situation right now where plants don't have the amount of atmospheric CO2 that they need. He says more CO2 will be incredibly beneficial to the planet. It's not going to cause any kind of catastrophic global warming or anything like that. 
Uh, and this is a guy that even his colleagues at Princeton who believe the man-made global warming hypothesis can't find a single bad thing to say about him. He's just a soft-spoken, kind, you know, getting up there in years gentleman, uh, nicest guy you'll meet. So Trump has uh, this idea to create the uh, Presidential Commission on Climate Science or Climate Security. And you would have thought that, uh, you know, he had dropped a nuclear bomb on the left or something because they are running around like cockroaches when the light turns on. They're freaking out. They're saying Trump is a, is a Hitler because of this and he's a science denier and, you know, every ridiculous thing you can imagine. Uh, and the reason I think they're so terrified is because they know that this commission, which would be charged with investigating the, the so-called science underpinning these federal reports, is going to uncover the fact that this is not science. This is political propaganda. This is, you know, ridiculous extremism masquerading as science. And it was all created to justify the policies that they wanted. So they are terrified that these frauds are going to be exposed. And that's why you see uh, Democrats in Congress. That's why you see the media. That's why you see the whole tax funded climate lobby uh, acting like chickens with their heads cut off. They are terrified that the truth is going to come out. So uh, Trump is doing a really, really good thing here. He's under tremendous pressure to back down. But uh, just today and yesterday, uh, really, really good news. A coalition of uh, more than 140 uh, experts, organizations, activist leaders, environmentalists has signed this uh, incredibly important letter to the president urging him to go forward with his plan to not be intimidated by these tactics of the far left and the, the tax funded climate lobby. And uh, we got to hope that he'll go through with that. You know, that's why I'm such a fan of President Trump. I, I'm some days I'm not convinced that he's a conservative. Um, but I don't really think that matters because he governs from an unashamed conservative viewpoint. And I think that he is probably the only president ever who could take on such a powerful environmental lobby. He just doesn't care what they have to say. And that's why I love him so much. And uh, being a Canadian conservative, it, it is just so refreshing to see just bold politics doing the things that people want and not what the media wants and not what the lobby wants, because those are two very different things. The The media reports on the things that they want people to care about, but generally it's stuff nobody really gives a damn about. So that's why I love how unashamed President Trump is to do these sorts of things. Now, I know that education is your beat at The New American, um, and you do a phenomenal job of it, and you have this incredible story, and there's some... Um, overlays to the Canadian experience here. Um, you have a story about how Latinos in California are calling the California Education Department racist for some of the LGBTQ plus and some other letters um, <laughs> policies that they have written. And in Canada, that has been our experience too, where our ethnic minorities, who are often religious minorities, really are the allies of um, the Christian conservative right when it comes to fighting um, this sort of gender theory encroachment in our schools. Yeah, this really is an incredible story, and it's been totally missed by the establishment media. But you have a situation now, you know, the, the government in California loves to pretend like they love immigrants. You know, they declare themselves a sanctuary mm -hmm. state now where uh, state and local law enforcement is prohibited from cooperating with the federal government to deport uh, criminal illegal aliens. 
Um, you know, and this has resulted in some murders. Just recently, a police officer was murdered by a criminal illegal immigrant who was not deported because of this sanctuary state law. Uh, and so the California government loves to pretend like they love uh, Hispanic immigrants. The reality is, and I think this story illustrates this so perfectly, is that they only love them when it comes time to vote for Democrats, when it comes time to actually including them in things like the legally mandated parental involvement and review of what happens in the government schools. Suddenly, not only do they not love them, they, in violation of the law, try to exclude them. So California has recently adopted this uh, California health education framework. And, you know, even for progressives, this is extreme. I mean, they, they're they recommend a book for, you know, four year olds that talks about gender is this unlimited spectrum. And, you know, they say that uh, doctors guess the gender of babies by looking at their genitals, but they can't really know because babies can't talk yet. Uh, they, they start teaching kids about polyamory and polyfidelity, which I hadn't even heard of. I had to look these things up. Uh, apparently, it's when, you know, instead of a monogamous couple, you have like eight or nine or 12 different people in a sexual relationship. Really weird, weird stuff that they're trying to normalize. And of course, you know, Latin America, because I grew up in Latin America, it, it, you know, that's not going to fly. Right? These are primarily Catholics and uh, pretty family conservative, family oriented people. Uh, they would not support this in a million years. And so Almost everything that the California Department of Education does, they do it in English and in Spanish because California has a very, very significant uh, Hispanic minority community. Almost a third of the state uh, is Hispanic. And so typically when they put stuff out, they put it out in English and Spanish. Well, this new health education framework that not only did they not tell anybody about it, they didn't put it out in Spanish. So now you have all these minority communities across California uh, who are discovering that their kindergarten children, that their first grade children are going to be taught uh, that they can be any gender that they want, that they should experiment with homosexuality, that they should do this, that, and the other. And they are outraged. Uh, they are protesting. They are holding their kids. I, I actually interviewed about a dozen of them. You can see uh, some of the uh, commentary that they provided to me in Spanish, of course. Uh, so, you know, if, if you don't read Spanish, you can run it through Google Translate. But uh, they are really mad and they're suggesting that the California Department of Education is racist and is deliberately trying to exclude them. Now, whether the California Department of Education is racist or not, I can't say for sure. But I have to say this is very, very suspicious. And it, uh, you know, it looks really bad for these bureaucrats. Yeah, it sounds a lot like the bigotry of low expectations, doesn't it? It feels as though uh, the Democrats in California think they own the votes of Latino families when Latino families, like everybody else's family, are obligated to themselves and the, and the, um, the best interests of their own families over loyalty to the government. Um, it's really, it is, uh, it feels a little racist, um, but I... Uh, I wouldn't go so far as to call them racist. I'll let the Latino community do that for me. Um, you also have a, a really great video up at uh, The New American where you talk about New York's new abortion law, which is basically an absence of a law, really. That's what it comes down to. And you compare it to what's happening in China. Um, and again, there's a strong Canadian overlay here because in Canada, we don't have an abortion law. Um, we join some of the worst countries in the world um, with regard to the rights of the unborn, um, you know, right in line with China and North Korea. Um, there's no prohibition prohibition on um, an abortion at any time in Canada as long as uh, a woman can get a doctor to agree to it. And uh, you did a really great comparison to just how far the Democrats um, in New York State have gone down that road. 
Uh, it, it really is so sad and so tragic, Sheila, what's happening here. And so I was at uh, an off-the-record meeting of uh, top conservative leaders a few weeks ago, and uh, I had the opportunity to talk with uh, Reggie Littlejohn, who I interviewed for this video. And, um, you know, I, I have covered her work before. She's, she's not even necessarily a conservative in the sense that, uh, you know, I might be or, or others. Um, she's the president and the founder of Women's Rights Without Frontiers. So she really is out there advocating for women's rights. And one of her big areas of concern, actually what drew me to cover her work originally, was when she was exposing the role of the United Nations and Planned Parenthood, which is the largest abortion organization in America, receives about half a billion dollars in federal tax money. She gave testimony in Congress about how the United Nations Population Fund and Planned Parenthood, the abortion monster, uh, were working in cooperation with the mass murdering dictatorship enslaving the people of China in the perpetration of forced abortions to, to uh, enforce their population control policies. So this, for me, was just flabbergasting. You know, I, I knew the communist Chinese regime did this. I knew that they behaved in absolutely barbaric and savage ways. But to see that my tax dollars were subsidizing forced abortions was horrifying. So that's that's how I first came across Reggie Littlejohn. Well, I had the opportunity to meet her again. And uh, I said, you know, what's on your radar? What do you want to talk about? And she was appalled that this law in New York, she, she actually held up uh, the best practices that they use in China for, for killing unborn babies from mothers who have violated the population control regime. Um, and she said the, the law that was approved in New York, where you can now murder a baby as it's being born, right? It could be nine months on its way out, and the doctor can murder it right then and there. Uh, she said that is more barbaric than even what they do in communist China. She held up the best practices in communist China. And she said, you know, once the baby's already on the way out, you know, once the, the mother is delivering the baby, you know, we don't really have a choice anymore. We have to let the mother take the baby home and, you know, maybe we'll find the parents or whatever. Uh, so even in China, the communist dictatorship won't murder the babies as they're coming out. And yet in New York, this is now legal under state law. So uh, we have a very serious problem in New York. You have other left wing states that are trying to pursue similar policies. And I think it speaks volumes about the collapse of the moral values of at least certain areas in the United States, New York State certainly among them. Yeah, uh, but on the flip side, I did see some polling that showed that now that the Democrats have really revealed themselves to be the pro-infanticide party, a lot of people are waking up to the slippery slope of, you know, the uh, abortion rights masquerading as women's rights um, debate, where now more people are identifying as pro-life or at least um, holding some pro-life values that the Democrats and that the left have revealed themselves to be the ghouls they really are. There really is a culture shift in America, you know, it's uh, and, and this governor of Virginia who suggested that, uh, you know, maybe even after the baby's born, the mother can talk to the doctor about whether we should kill it. And we've reported in the New American for years that this was coming. You have, you know, self-styled ethicists who work at prominent mm -hmm. universities saying, oh, you should be able to kill the baby until he's like four. You know, he's not really self-aware anyway. Just, you know, murder him if you don't want him. I mean, this is absolute barbarism. This is going back to like the savagery of the Vikings, you know, pre the arrival of Christianity. This is absolutely horrible. Horrifying, and yet it's happening. But among the American population, the views really are shifting. If you look at the polling data, Americans are becoming much more pro-life. The overwhelming majority of Americans want stronger and, and more voluminous restrictions on the ability of women and doctors to execute babies before they're born. Uh, so the culture really is shifting. Unfortunately, the leadership of the Democratic Party is going in the opposite direction. 
to the point where now some of them are openly endorsing actual infanticide, right? Murdering babies that have already been born. And uh, this is a you know a very bizarre situation. Uh, th there's a good chance that the Supreme Court will revisit this question. Of course, Congress has the power to overturn this anyway by removing the issue from the jurisdiction of the Supreme Court. Uh, I have a feeling that uh, we will probably start moving in a more positive direction on abortion in the years ahead, as you know, technology reveals. You know, this is really a baby that uh, that we're talking about. So good things are happening, but unfortunately, in the meantime, we're seeing a lot of barbarism and the mask really dropping on the ideology of these people who want to kill babies. Uh, you know, in, in Texas, they had a, a protest. And you had these uh, pro-abortion people, pro-Planned Parent people, literally shouting, "Hail Satan!" I mean, you can watch yeah. this on YouTube. It's it, you know, I think they thought they were being funny, but uh, it's just ghoulish. I love the term you used. It's absolutely sickening, Sheila. Yeah, it's uh, it really is. It harkens back um, to uh, Old Testament days when <laughs> when uh, there was child sacrifice, and I think um, we've come a long way since then, but we are still sacrificing the innocent um, to an evil um, that I don't think the left really understands quite what it is. Um, now, uh, you were recently in Calgary um, speaking at a conference, um, my friend Danny Hozak's conference. I unfortunately didn't make it down, but my colleague Kian Bexie was there for one day. Why don't you give us a Coles Notes version of what you were in Calgary talking about and... Uh, Maybe uh, what the reception was like for you in Calgary. Uh, well, thank you so much for the opportunity, Sheila. Uh, it was so fun to be in Calgary. You know, e even the wind chill minus 40 degrees, yeah. I, I could even bear that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that was literally the coldest I have ever experienced in my life. And you know, I, I lived in Sweden for a lot of years and we had some really cold days, but nothing like minus 40 with the wind chill. That was just yeah unprecedented for me. But the people at the conference were amazing. It, it was such a, a great experience to be there. Amazing people uh, had the opportunity to uh, interview uh, Dr. Patrick Moore, the co-founder of Greenpeace, who's now being smeared uh, in all the media. They're trying to you know, disappear him on Google. Uh, so what I spoke about was actually this right here. I had just released that literally a few days before coming up there, a, a new special report on education. It's called uh, Rescuing Our Children. And so uh, what I did was I kind of gave a, a breakdown of what's happening in the government school system. And I actually included a lot of what was happening in Alberta, in the province of Alberta and uh, Canadian schools. Uh, you know, to, to just put it very simply, um, our children in public schools across the United States, across Canada, across Western Europe, and now this is becoming a global phenomenon with UNESCO trying to hijack education around the world. They are being dumbed down deliberately, right? They're, they're being taught with quack methodologies that we've known don't work since the 1840s, including on reading. That's why we have an illiteracy crisis in the United States. Uh, they're being indoctrinated to believe in socialism, globalism, humanism, pantheism, paganism, you know, pick your ism, as long as it's not, uh, you know, traditional Western values, Christianity, conservatism, you know, constitutionalism here in the United States. Um, and, and the point is, if, I don't know the numbers in Canada, but in America, something like 85, 86 percent of American children are being educated, so-called, in the public school system. And even if they're only moderately effective, even if they only get, say, two-thirds of those students sufficiently indoctrinated, uh, the numbers don't look good. And we are going to start losing our freedoms more rapidly than we have been. Uh, and we're going to start losing every political battle between freedom and tyranny if this continues. And so I, I kind of conclude with this urgent call for everybody, you know, parents, pastors, grandparents 
parents, everybody in the community must get involved in this education battle because this is the one where if we fail on this, we are going to lose every single other one that matters to us. You know, it doesn't matter if you, if your issue is lower taxes or you know stopping the the man-made global warming hypothesis from being used as an excuse to steal all our liberty or gun rights or you know the abortion issue, any issue you can think about, we're going to lose them all if we continue to allow our children to be brainwashed. So we have to get involved in this fight, whether we want to or not. You know, it's not sexy or pretty or you know anything super amazing but we have to get down to the nitty-gritty of the education or the the consequences are going to be absolutely catastrophic yeah i really think the education issue is the most important issue facing conservatives um because it, it really it, it's a two-fold front because not only are our values being washed out of our own children um but secondarily it cripples the workforce going forward. So you can't even work your way out of the financial crisis that progressive policies put us into if we ever get uh, a sea change in the cultural movement where we go back to conservatism and personal responsibility and self-reliance, that we won't have a workforce who's who has the ability <laughs> to fix the mess. Um, and I really think that um, it, conservatives need to see that and they need to see it immediately because one more generation and I really believe it's over. I couldn't agree with you more, Sheila. I mean, we, we are at that point now and I don't, I don't like to sound alarmist. I like to be yeah. as optimistic as possible, but we are facing a crisis situation where they are quite literally indoctrinating our children with scientific methodologies, psychological research that they've developed over a century. Um, and as you'll see if you read this special report, you can actually find all the articles online for free. You can go to the New American website and you'll find all those articles there for free. Uh, or you can get yourself a copy of the report. I gave out a whole bunch while I was up in Canada. Um, not only are our kids getting dumber, um, they are being deprived of the tools that they need to be able to educate themselves. If, you know, I don't know about the statistics in Canada, but if you look here in the United States, Washington, D.C., for example, you have more than two-thirds of the adult population over the age of 15 is functionally illiterate, and that's according to the government's own data. I mean, these people couldn't read their high school diploma. They couldn't read a stop sign to save their lives. Uh, California, you have 50% of the kids, more than 50% of the kids cannot read at even a proficient level. They're so busy teaching them the man-made global warming theory and uh, you know the gender ideology and all this that the kids can't even read. Uh, and so what happens when you can't read is you cannot educate yourself, right? All, all the accumulated knowledge of mankind that's accessible to anyone who can read is suddenly inaccessible to someone who can't read. Then they have to depend on the television and their government school for knowledge. And this is a very dangerous situation. And I think you're right, one more generation, maybe two, and uh, it will be all over for freedom, for our, our liberties, for our nation. And uh, we need to really be active in this space or we're gonna lose it all. Yeah, I mean, here in Alberta, 40% of our grade nine students fail math. <laughs> and I mean, it is, and it's appalling. Failing basic math, 40% of them. We are, like you say, we're raising functional illiterates. Um, and it's, it's uh, I think it's an, uh, an unholy mix of parents who are, um, through taxation policy, forced to both be working. Um, and uh, this... So they're left in schools um, all day long. Parents are too busy to sort of undo the indoctrin indoctrination. And then um, there's, you know, overlay the teacher unions on top of that and their progressive policies. And it's really 
undermining the future of both of our countries. Um, Alex, I see we're coming up on close to 30 minutes and I try to keep these things to about 20, but you're just so darn interesting. Um, how do people find The New American? I know you have a YouTube channel. Um, how do they subscribe? I think w the work you guys do is so incredibly well done and it's such a valuable resource. Well, thank you so much, Sheila. It's so appreciated. And you guys too, you're doing amazing work in educating the people of Canada and bringing the, the truth there. So I, I just appreciate you guys tremendously. Uh, if people want to go to The New American, it's www.thenewamerican.com. Uh, from the website, you can subscribe to our daily headlines or weekly headlines. You can also subscribe to the print version of the magazine. You'll get two every month mailed to your door. Uh, and uh, also we have uh, yeah YouTube channel, The New American Video. We've got Twitter, you know, Facebook, all those types of social media things, at least for now. And uh, so I hope people will reach out, find us, and uh, you know, stay on top of the news that you need to stay free because we are in a battle for our freedom and uh, we cannot afford to not be informed, not be paying attention. This is just so crucial. So uh, you know, stay tuned to The Rebel and uh, please go to thenewamerican.com and uh, check that out. So thank you so much, Sheila. Great. Thank you, Alex. It's such a joy and a pleasure to uh, speak to someone who can cut through the issues so concisely. And thank you for being so generous with your time. And I look forward to the next time that you're on the show. Thank you so much, Sheila. Really appreciate it. Thank you. having Alex on this show. I love talking to American journalists who are conservative and unashamed to be conservative and are actively engaged in reporting the traditional family values side of the ongoing culture war. You know, it can be a little bit of a lonely experience as a Canadian journalist who's also actively engaged in advocating for those same things. You know, there aren't very many of us, at least ones that are open about it. Well, everybody, that's the show for tonight. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I'll see everybody back here in the same time, in the same place next week. And remember, don't let the government tell you that you've had too much to think. <laughs>